You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. All right, if you'd like, you can turn with me to Matthew uh, 19. We'll be getting into that in a moment. We're gonna read one verse from there, or a little passage there. Today's uh, message is continuing on our Heaven series. And uh, yeah, I'll begin reading here in Matthew 19 here in a moment. Um, But to begin with, we're gonna kind of start off with a little exercise. And I know, I think maybe it was a week or two ago, I made you all stand up. I won't be that bad this time, okay? Now some of you are like, oh, I gotta stand up, you know? Uh, So today, I want you to think with me as we're gonna think through this concept of what we're talking about today. We're talking about a new world, the new world, the new heaven, the new earth. We're talking about a future. We're talking about heaven and all of this and what it means whether uh, misconceptions of heaven that we might have or whether what the Bible conceives of what heaven will be like and uh, kind of in between where we find ourselves sometimes. And so I want you to think with me and uh, think with me, what's your, what's your favorite hobby, right? What, what, what's something you really just like love doing? You know, if you have free time and some of you are like, what's that? But if you had some free time, uh, what would that be like? What would you do it? What would you spend uh, that free time on? What is your favorite hobby? And what I want you to do right now is I want you to share and tell your neighbor, someone next to you, you can speak and, and, and tell your neighbor, what, what is your hobby? What, what do you like doing? What's one of your times you really enjoy doing? So go, go to share a neighbor, tell somebody near you what's something you really enjoy doing. Some of you are just talking. You're not even doing what I told you to do, okay? Share a, share a, a hobby. All right, good, good. You got that? All right, next one. Um, why don't you think about what is your favorite smell? What's your favorite smell? Something you absolutely love. You know, for me, like sometimes maybe that's the smell of gasoline. You know that, right? You know, because I'm such a man, right? You know, like smell of gasoline. I love that. Diesel fuel. Um, Some of you might uh, love the smell of coffee. So tell somebody else near you what's one of your favorite smells. Maybe it's the smell of uh, Christmas cookies, evergreen trees, Christmas trees. Some of you are like, it's that new baby smell, right? Like that, yeah, you know, so you're just like the new ba- new car, new car smell, right? I won't ask you some of your worst smells. Some of the kids are like, that's the least favorite thing. All right, and then uh, maybe one of the last ones here. What's, um, this might maybe a little more difficult, but if you think about it, you could probably come up with something. What's my, one of your most favorite, like on this earth, you think about what's your, your most favorite sounds, something that you enjoy, you know, like you wake up and you hear the birds chirping, or um, maybe it's a music where it's uh, silence, okay? Or, or maybe it's the sound of, what do you just love hearing? That sound makes you think of something. Share that with somebody near you. This one's tougher, I will admit. A sound, something you hear you hear of something and you're like, ah. For some of you students, it was the bell. You heard the bell at school. You're like, that sound is the best sound in the world. Class is over, class dismissed. 
Some of you, it's like, the, it's the sound of your voice, Jordan. That's my favorite sound. Thank you. I know a few of you were sharing that earlier. I heard that up here. Now joking. Okay. All right. All right, you can stop talking. It's my turn now. Okay. <laughs> um, the, but I, I'm trying to get you guys to think through. You know, life can be really tough. Life can be difficult, believe me. But, but there are things that are uh, amazingly uh, awesome about life. Like, what are you, you know, I won't ask you to share this one now, but what are the things you just enjoy about life? What are, what are just things you enjoy about this earth? Like, the weather right now in June in New Hampshire is amazing, right? It's amazing. And I notice I said that June in New Hampshire is amazing, right? It's awesome. We love these things. There's beautiful skies. There's birds chirping the air. There's, uh, there's, there's just this, the sunrise, the sunset, uh, the beautiful things of exploring this earth, the hobbies that you all have, bike riding, I don't know what it is, or uh, I don't know, I won't name stuff, but you know, you know, all these hobbies you might have, I don't have too many hobbies. It's either hiking or uh, sports, right? It's like, whatever. Um, some of you guys have some really intricate hobbies, things you love to do, crocheting, there you go. That's some of you right there, okay? I came up with something. I try to diversify my hobbies instead of always coming back to sports. I've got to br- diversify, right? But now imagine with me, all of those things we just talked about, thought about, this world that God has created. Now imagine all of those things without sin. <laughs> that would be wonderful if somebody did it, right? That, I mean, might even be hard to imagine. In some ways, it's like easy to imagine. You're like, oh, it might even be hard to imagine what that would be without sin. Well, imagine you could actually smell, maybe some of you are like, COVID took that from me and maybe still has. I don't know, taste and smell, and all of a sudden life becomes kind of lifeless without taste and smell. Imagine you could hear everything, maybe uh, the best musician, you know, some of these musicians up here, I've heard uh, truly good musicians, they they can hear things in music and sounds that the rest of us are just like, I didn't even know that was there, right? They can hear things that the rest of us can't. Imagine hearing everything a musician can hear. Imagine you could hike and bike without ever worrying about tearing a muscle or breaking an ankle or running out of breath. C.S. Lewis actually describes this concept in one of his books in Narnia about running and if, as running as fast as an eagle runs and running without tiring was his picture of the new heaven. And this picture of running without ever being tired and if one could run like that, one would scarcely think of anything else he would ever do, he says. But imagine uh, friendships. Some of you maybe are sitting with friends and family. Friendships. Friendships without sin, without ever feeling distant, without ever feeling like you're having to be something else for someone, one, someone so they will like you. Imagine that never being there. Imagine a conversation between two people with no reservations or uh, embarrassment. <laughs> Imagine food without ever watching calories. Imagine seeing someone else's success without jealousy or envy. Imagine seeing a bear or a spider without being afraid. Right? Uh, imagine enjoy a hobby without feeling like you've, at the end of it, man, felt like you just kind of wasted your time and there's always something you should have been doing and you sh- didn't do it and you don't meet that expectation, right? Imagine working a job without dreading going to work. Imagine interacting with the people in a city that are different from you without hatred and anger or fear. Just imagine exploring without ever fearing, at least for me, like you're going to get lost, right? (laughs) Or or, um, imagine adventure 
and yet it never having to come to an end. Imagine life without sickness, without cancer. Imagine living without pain, physical or emotional pain. Imagine a life without your past. (laughs) The abuse that maybe some of you have gone through, physical, mental, maybe it's sexual abuse. And that never having to constantly well up in your life where you're trying to figure out who you are today and your worth and value. Imagine what your life would look like without that trauma or those fractures in their past. Imagine food just in general without knowing there are people on the other side of the planet who are starving. Imagine, imagine nations and countries without war. Imagine different people who are different than us without racism or prejudice against different people fear as we're saying we're no longer a slave to fear we're saying that earlier imagine laughter just belly laughing right the other day my daughters were saying my I laughed dad I laughed so hurt my tummy my, I laughed so hard my tummy hurts they said right have you ever done that but imagine that innocent laughter without ever feeling guilty or ever laughing at the expense of someone else imagine seeing yourself in the mirror without shame or comparison to someone else or how you don't measure up to some external standard. Imagine the earth that works with you instead of it always seeming to work against you and everything is so hard, right? Imagine everything you smell and feel and taste and love here on earth, but imagine it without sin or death or any kind of curse. Imagine an earth much much like we know and love, but so much better than maybe we can imagine. And yet, in some ways, it feels very natural to imagine it. Because within our heart, God has placed this eternity in our hearts, this desire for heaven and this desire for earth, a desire for physical life with him in the original creation of tov, goodness. Imagine an eternity to pursue an endless joy and enrichment of life with God. Imagine a new world, a new heaven, and a new earth. Is that the kind of heaven we imagine all the time, you know? Is that the new earth that we picture and we live our lives, aiming our lives for? Or is, as I stumbled upon this, I heard it somewhere, and then it's those kinds of songs that get stuck in your head, right? Uh, I think it's Judy Garland from, I believe it's Wizard of Oz, right, the classic. Somewhere over the rainbow. Yeah, that was pretty good, right? And so now it's gonna be stuck in your head now, right? Some of you will be like singing that in the back of your head your whole day. Is is heaven just this, this blank somewhere over the rainbow? You know, way up high, there's a, this is the song, I'm not singing the whole thing for you. There's a land that I heard of once in a lullaby. You know, somewhere over the rainbow, skies are blue. The dreams you dare to dream, they really do come true. Someday I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far, right? Is is that this heavenly existence we imagine? Nothing wrong with that song I'm just saying is that sometimes maybe what our view of heaven is like in the new earth and our future is just somewhere over the rainbow. I don't know. Or is there really in this earth these, as you could say, these echoes of Eden? Things that echo a time past that was much better than it is now. And yet echo forward maybe, a time that we long for that will be much better as well. 
a foretaste and a foreshadowing of what is to come. Or you could say in the classic Louis Armstrong song, and I won't sing that one for you, what a wonderful world. What a wonderful world, right, as he does. But in, even in that song, the simplicity of the song is Louis looking out around and saying, man, this is, there's a lot of good things around us. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and for you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue, clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. In the end it says, I, I, the color of the rainbows are pretty in the sky, also faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? Babies crying, I'll watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. They're really saying I love you all these. And what a wonderful world, what a wonderful world. What a wonderful world that we live in. There isn't a lot of enjoyment and, and joy that we can have in this world. And yet, if I could get you to grasp today that the love and the enjoyment and the enrichment and the adventure and the hobbies and the tastes and the smell, these are all things given to us by God as a blessing. And yet, they are in many respects a foretaste of what is to come in heaven, beyond. <laughs> this, this future that is rooted in earthly now and yet we enjoy them in part but one day they will be released into fullness. Romans 8, we looked at it last week, creation groans right now and is waiting to be set free. It's waiting to be set free. So the enjoyment and the enrichment you have in your gardening and your building and your skills and your hobbies. This is a, a partial foretaste of the glory to come. And that is exciting. It's exciting. And it should be. See, Jesus talks about this. Turn to Matthew 19, 28. In the passage, verse 27, 28, kind of surrounding the context here. Matthew 19 is a familiar passage to some where Jesus is talking to the rich young man. And the guy comes up to him kind of like, hey, teacher, you, smart guy, how do I get eternal life? You know, like, ah, oh, good question, right? And so Jesus speaks to him and tells him right where and shoots right to the quick of it, right? Right to the heart. And he says, all right, guy, rich young guy, why don't you go sell everything you have then come back and talk to me? And the guy's like, eh. I don't know if I really want to do that, right? You know, so I'm, I'm giving you the Jordan Moody version here, okay? And he, he shares all those things and, and he doesn't really want to share that and it's this conversation around heaven, the future, the new earth, what, what will life be? How can I grasp this sense of eternal life that you're speaking about? Talks about how, look, it's easier for a rich man to go through an eye of a needle, right? Um, uh, so, okay, uh, it's easier for, sorry, it's easier for a, uh, a camel to go for an eye needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's like this, that whole storyline there, you know? And then, then he goes right into saying, with man, this is impossible. God, all things are possible. And then verse 27, Peter asks him, kind of following, well, okay, what's going on here? Verse 27 is saying, well, then Peter said to him, reply, see, we have left everything to follow you. What then will we have? And Jesus answers in verse 28. And maybe you can already pick out the key word I'm looking at here. Verse 28, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, 
when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. Uh, You will have followed me and you also will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And he speaks going on even about treasure in heaven and about the future of what is to come. But I want us to focus in on this point that will lead us into other passages. And it's that word, the new world. You see that in verse 28? Jesus answers him, I truly say to you, in the new world, in the new world, now some of your translations might read a little differently. Some of you might have something on your phone. You have different Bible translations right there. That word new world is actually a very complicated word meaning that it, it means several different things at once. But a new world is a wonderful translation I believe here. But it's the word, I'm gonna try to get this right, palingenesia. <laughs> it means a, a new genesis, a new world. It means uh, the word genesia is in there, this, this sense of genesis, back to the beginning, echoes of Eden. And so it's this new world, this Greek word is really one word and it means this new genesis, this new world. It means also regeneration and renewal. And so some translations, the ESV has new world, NASB, NKJV says in the regeneration when the son of man. NRSV, CSB, NIV says at the renewal of all things when the son of man comes. The NLT says when the world is made new and the son of man, and and it goes on. And so you have new world, regeneration, renewal of all things, and the world made new. But you can get the sense, right? The sense of that word, what it's embodying. So it's only used twice in the New Testament. The other time is in Titus 3, where it speaks about the Holy Spirit and the regeneration and renewing work of the Holy Spirit. Fascinating. If you're a Greek geek, right? You know? <laughs> but this new world is this description that is beautifully depicted by Jesus here of what is to come. He says, in this regenerational state, in this place of renewal, in this place of something new, it carries with it a sense of something that was lost being brought back to life. Something that was lost maybe is now found. Something has died, it is now alive. It's been tarnished in the past, but now it's all polished and cleaned up. Something was dirty, but now it's cleansed. Something was broken, and now it is fixed. It's renewed. It's regenerated. It's better. The future new world is better from the past and yet it has and carries much of what is in the past. As I was looking at this idea of the new world, I had thought of uh, this book that I'd never read but I was talking about it with Josh this week, The Brave New World. Maybe you've heard of it. It's actually become a phrase that often people will just say in conversation, oh, it's a brave new world, right? It's actually one of the top banned books of all time by Aldous Huxley. So Huxley wrote The Brave New World. He wrote it kind of in a time period of history. As you look in history, you can find different cultural uh, embodiments of what's happening in the minds of the people at that time. It was kind of after World War I, in between World War I and World War II, where all of a sudden there was a sense of technological advancement, that technology and modern achievements by men would really create a world in the future uh, that would become a utopia. Eventually our technology would reach to such a point uh, where we could really create a society uh, where there was no more difficulty, pain, suffering, sin, and all this, right? It would just, we'd all get along, right? Because right? once everyone has an iPhone and a MacBook and internet, everyone just gets along, right? right? Is that how it works today? But obviously uh, Huxley knew this was, was foolishness. 
as H.G. Wells was writing books called Utopia and talking about these ideas of like the future utopia we would all find ourselves in made by man void of God. That was the key here. Uh, uh, Huxley writes this book about a brave new world where this modern utopia that technology has made for the world really just creates a living hell for people. (laughs) And it's very interesting at how similar or prophetic some of the things he wrote having no idea of the world we live in today. But he writes this idea almost in a sense of trying to say, look people, there's still something deathly wrong with humanity. Technology, air conditioning, light, electricity. They, they can do a lot. Science is a wonderful tool as we study and, int- and know the, the way the world works and how it is and how to harness and how to have uh, a dominion over the earth. That's, that's our responsibility, it's our job. This is a good thing and yet it's not something that will save us. We don't worship these things. Just having 5G or Wi-Fi or iPhones or whatever, it doesn't create this world utopia, humans still have a a, a key problem. (laughs) And that there is still a fallen world. Death is still a real thing. And so this brave new world that we seem to be trying to create for ourselves apart from God is something that we can manufacture and make look good on the outside, but the internal, it's almost like a whited sepulcher inside, it's still bones. And so we find that so much of this is what we live in today and find ourselves, and yet it's, it's this need for a new world that comes from God a, and the Holy Spirit in Titus 3, this regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, a spiritual renewal to regenerate the physical created order. This is what we're longing for. This is the new world that Jesus depicts. This is Romans 8, as he says. Says of all creation, waits and groans for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. A new world brought about by God through his son Jesus Christ, purified by the Spirit. So that's our first target verse for today. I want you to look at Acts chapter three with me briefly as well, if you can. Acts chapter three. Verse 21, this is Peter preaching on Solomon's portico. It's a time right after Pentecost and he preaches in a manner speaking about these things that have come and these things that have happened, the fulfillment of prophecy they've recently experienced. It's this incredible moment and Peter speaks even right after an incredible miracle where a lame beggar is healed We don't have time today, but every miracle that we see in the scripture is a foretaste of heaven. It's this sense of this regenerating work of putting things back to the way that they were supposed to be. It's an idea that that really gives us a picture, an insight as to, wow, this creating of healing of legs that didn't work is a way of putting it back the way it was, a renewal, regeneration. It was just a foretaste of what he will do with the entire created order when he returns, okay? So each miracle, you can look through it in that lens, very helpful healing of a withered hand or blind eyes being restored to sight, whatever it might be. This curse being dispelled and the goodness of God being replaced, right? Uh, Acts 3, verse 20, he's speaking and uh, verse 20, 21, let me read verse 19 actually, verse three, uh, Acts 3. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, Peter says, and, and that times of refreshing may come up from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Then verse 21, get this, whom heaven must receive until time. So heaven must receive, Jesus has just ascended to heaven a few days prior to this, right? For time, he's just ascended. 
whom heaven must receive until the time for, and the ESV says the restoring all things, for the restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. It's this depiction where we get into the mind of Peter for a second, and he uses this Greek word which means, yes, the restoring all the things, restoring of all things, or it means just basically a restoration project. So, so there is right now, Jesus has come, he says. Jesus has saved, and the Spirit has been poured out. And there was a time when Jesus must go to heaven, as he says in verse 21, he must, heaven will receive him until the time, until the time comes for him to restore all things. Incredible picture of what he views the end as like. Not just this atom bomb that goes off and this explosion, but the sense of the time when he comes to return again to restore all things back to the way they were. It's the word restoration is what it means. Even in the Greek, that's what it means. This restoring, uh, like many of you do. You take a broken down house, you strip it down to the studs, and you restore that thing back to its former glory, and many times better than it ever was before. You know exactly what that looks like. This word is similar to the word we looked at earlier with the renewal and the regeneration. We have these connected ideas of palingenesia to this idea of apocostasis, I think it is. These two ideas of regeneration, I'll say it in English, regeneration and renewal and restoration. Those three re's are all connected here. It means, as Randy Alcorn says, a coming back from death to life, a new genesis, a rebirth, a renewal of all things. J.R.R. Tolkien portrays a similar view when he writes in the book The Hobbit. Maybe some of you have seen the movies. The books are way better. But it says uh, in The Hobbit, when the dwarf king Thorin Oakenshield speaks his last words to Bilbo Baggins, whom he has wronged, and he says, farewell. I go now to the halls of waiting to sit beside my fathers until the world is renewed. Since I leave now all gold and silver and go to where there is of little worth, I wish to part with you in friendship and I would take back my words and deeds at the gate, he says. But I love that phrase, I go now to the halls of waiting, which we will view next week as the intermediate heaven. And as we wait there, there is a time where he sits beside his fathers in the presence of God and until the world is renewed. Now, J.R. Tolkien's not scripture. I'm just telling you, J.R. Tolkien, being a Christian and having faith, he kind of weaves that in here. This time of renewal and restoration. But now, turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3. Today, we're just hopping around to kind of four main passages today that speak of this idea that I want to help us grasp about how this earth will be renewed and restored one day. Second Peter chapter three. This is the verse we used last week. Second Peter three verse 13. But I want to read a, a kind of broader part of the passage. We're going to start reading in verse four. Okay, and I know sometimes when I read longer passages of scripture, it's hard to pay attention, so I, I'll try to, to keep you engaged on this. But in second Peter chapter three verse four, he's talking about the day of the Lord Kind of the end, you could say. The end is near, everyone freak out. No, that's not, that's not what he's trying to say, right? He's not wearing this cardboard cutout where the end is near. He's saying this, this idea, the day of the Lord will come one day, okay? So let's be aware and be patient of this. What is it gonna look like? Well, in verse four, he says, they will say, this is other people scoffing at the end. Other people will scoff and say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation, meaning nothing's changed, the Lord's never gonna return, it's all a joke. Verse five, 
For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. What is he talking about? Genesis, right? Noah, the flood. So when he's speaking about the end, he he references a story well known to his readers and well known to you. Noah's ark and the flood of how the earth was formed by water, was it not? (laughs) The earth we know today was greatly transformed by a worldwide flood, the Bible tells us. And yet the earth remained the same and did not disappear and yet what is on the surface of the earth was radically changed. Keep that in mind, verse seven. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly, verse eight. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It'll come quickly and suddenly. And the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Exposed, like revealed what's truly there. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? In lives of holiness and godliness, waiting, there's that word, waiting for the hastening and the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt and burn. And then verse 13, the verse we read last week and the week before, but according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. My point in this passage, just look briefly kind of as we're coming to the to this message here as we look at this idea of restoration and renewal and bringing back, this passage speaks a lot about destruction burning (laughs) and so we ask the question is is the earth going to be vaporized or renewed and I would say can it be a little bit of both the Bible says how can there be this sense of 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 saying the Lord will return and and how is it that he just comes again well there will be in like a flood there will be fire and that fire will dissolve certain aspects and yet it will expose certain things that will remain Revelation 20, verse 11 says, uh, verse uh, 21, chapter 21, and all this talks about a a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heavens pass away, the sea was no more. So the question is for us, like, will the earth simply be renewed, or will it be completely destroyed and replaced by another earth? I'm still kind of working through these ideas, but I think this concept of the position of a renewal of the current earth is really better to describe the totality of what scripture is teaching us about the redemptive plan of God. Wayne Grudem says, renovation seems preferable here for this passage in Peter. It's difficult to think that God would entirely annihilate his original creation, thereby giving, seemingly give the devil the last word, scrapping the creation that was originally very good passage above that speaks of shaking and removing of the earth and of the first earth passing away may simply refer to an existent in its present form not the very removing the existence itself a new existence of it it spoke about this we talked about it briefly I don't know if you remember when we were talking about when we walked through Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12 where it spoke about this idea of how the earth would be shaken God says in Hebrews 12 Verse 27 and 28, how there will be a removal of the things shaken, that is, those things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. 
And so he talks about this idea of almost shaking the dust off of something, you know, like this shaking of it so the dust falls off and you can see what's truly beneath of it. So the Lord, when he returns, it says it's in Second Peter that he will bring fire that will almost be a cleansing fire, a purifying fire, something that will shake the earth and yet what is truly good will remain. And from that will be restored the new heaven, you could say, and the new earth. This bringing about the end of the age, which is bringing about the parallel here with the flood. The flood of Noah brought to, that brought in worldwide cataclysmic destruction, and yet the earth stayed, and yet the surface of the earth was cleansed. It was removed, as it says in 2 Peter 3. It was exposed. It exposed what was underneath. It didn't remove the earth and destroy it completely, but it dissolved and destroyed much of what was so that a cleansed palate would be there for a new growth to be. So the earth and the works shall be burned up, it says exposed or found or shown. It renders less of a total removal, but of a renewal. Kind of like when a forestry department or a fire department comes in and, and burns a forest of the underbrush. Have you ever seen when they do that? preemptively trying to help the absolute destruction of uncontrolled wildfires. They come through and burn the underbrush so that the trees can, be, uh, can grow and can remain and it, and it cleans out kind of that, that brush that allows the forest really not even to be used by animals much because it's so thick. It's an exposing of things. It's a, it's a fire that is spoken about as a refining one. God is a consuming fire, a refining fire. He burns gold. It burns the gold so hot that the dross, the impurities are removed and what's left behind in the fire? The gold. You ever done a a big fire or a pallet fire, you know? And all this pallet, this wood is burned up like chaff in the wind is just burned. And then what's remained, if you have done a big pallet fire, were all the nails, right? You ever seen that? All the metal and the nails and the metal is left behind. But the things that are burned away, those are gone. This is how I view kind of the end. This is how I view of how God comes. And in his second Peter, as he describes it, there's this burning up and there's this cleansing. There's a purifying in order so something new and better may be regenerated and renovated from it. Not a total, total complete newness uh, in the sense that we have no idea what it is, but a new in quality. And so in second Peter 3.13, when it says, for we're looking for the new heavens and the new earth, Now stay with me here, there's another Greek word, this idea of new. You're like, in English it's one word, very simple. In Greek there's two, kainos and neos. Some of you are Matrix fans and you're like, that sounds familiar. But neos, right, you have this idea of new, meaning new in the sense of like it's it's new, I've never heard of that, and it's brand new. Kainos is the idea of new in kind, new in quality, new in... Uh, for example, it's just better to illustrate it. Uh, you get a new phone, it's still a phone. You get a new car, it's still a car. It's a whole lot better car than it was. Rust bucket that it was, 200,000 miles on it, barely start, you gotta kind of kick it in the side before it goes, right? To a brand new Tesla, I don't know, brand new Mercedes, brand new Land Rover, brand spanking new, the thing is amazing, works exactly how it's supposed to work, but it's new, it's kinos. Here he's saying new, Heavens, new earth is kainos, new in quality, new in, yes, you understand that to be a car, but it's new in something. You've never driven anything like that before, and yet it's so amazing. It's a new car. They do this all the time with technology. You get a new computer. 
uh, happened to me, I think last year, I got a new MacBook, finally, it was amazing. They just came out with a brand new one like yesterday, right? And you're like, now you need something new, right? But this is a new heaven, new earth that will never be outdated. It will never rust, moths, and it cannot break, uh, break it down. Thieves can't come in and steal it away. It's something new, something better. It's a kainos new. In fact, the Bible speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when we're new creations, We are human beings as we are, but we are new creations, that is the same word. It's this freshness, it's a cleansing, it's a purifying, it's new. And so in so many ways here on this earth, we go through this sense of creating things that are new, and yet we get to experience of things that are yet to come. And kind of before I get into this last passage, you can turn to Revelation 21, and by way of introducing this idea, I want to kind of end the service by looking at Revelation 21. Only have a few minutes, but hopefully that's all right. We'll look at Revelation 21, but by way of introducing what we're going to be getting into here at the end, is thinking about that concept of new and what we have to look forward to and how we live our present life now. Conserving the earth, caring for and stewarding creation is an important thing. That's part of who we are as creation. We don't worship Mother Earth, but we care for the earth because God created it and called it good. Yes, it's fallen and it's broken down, but that's our job that has never been removed for us to be good stewards and to have dominion over the earth and to use its resources in a wise manner that honors God, not just litter because, hey, it's all gonna burn, right? You ever heard that? That theology, poor way of thinking about the way we live, that it doesn't really matter because who cares is gonna burn one day. That's a poor view of how God is gonna return and renew and restore all the things that we have done good for him on this earth. And so one way to think about that is thinking about we get to enjoy all the good things we have here on this earth. Isn't that awesome, all the things we thought about earlier? And this guy, John Eldridge, was writing in a book and he says he talks about bucket lists. And in fact, my wife and I were just making a little bit of a bucket list uh, for the summer. And we were talking about things we want to do this summer to the girls. We're like, girls, what do you want to do this summer? Like, I want to go to the zoo, okay? And so like, that's on the bucket list, right? But you know where the term bucket list comes from? At least he says it does. So it comes from, well, before you kick the bucket, you got to do these things, right? <laughs> and you see how it goes against what I'm telling you today? That, that we got to fit in all the fun stuff now before he returns because it ain't going, it's all get downhill from here, right? You know, is that kind of the idea? Like heaven's just this eternal church service or it's just somewhere over the rainbow, right? So it's just floating in the sky. So we got to do all the fun stuff now because uh, uh, we don't got much time left, right? That's an atheistic mindset of saying there is no God and there is no afterlife. So yeah, you better do all your fun stuff now because there is no future, people. That's not what Christian mindset tells us. That's not hope. In fact, it's the opposite of it. It tells us that, yes, enjoy, have a bucket list. Enjoy the fun things that God has given us, the life that he has richly blessed us with, Ecclesiastes would say. And so as we enjoy that life, also know that if you don't get to jump out of an airplane now, you know, and parachute and all this stuff and go to wherever Cancun or wherever the exotic location you want to go to, if you don't get to do that here on this earth, it, there's going to be an eternity for that in the future. Isn't that kind of cool? It's like, it's not as bucket list that I, I, I didn't do that before I died. But rather, I look forward to those things in the future on a level that I can barely even imagine now, okay? It's an extraordinary way of thinking of it. And so what I want to do is end it today with a vision of heaven, a vision of the new Jerusalem, a vision of the new earth. As it says in Revelation, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down out of heaven, God preparing a bride. Behold, the dwelling of place of God is with man. This is the storyline we've been looking at the last couple weeks. 
He's gonna wipe every tear, verse four, from their eyes. Death will be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. I'm making all things new. But then look at verse nine. He speaks about the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven, this heavenly city, which is the dwelling place of God, Jerusalem, this this location that God, the abode of God, coming down to earth and earth converging with this heavenly city. It's convergence of new heaven and new earth coming one together where God's dwelling place would now be with man. And it is in a physical location, a heavenly city converging upon a new earth in a physical location. All right, look at this. And I'm gonna just, just stick with me here, people, as we read some of this. I wanna just kind of have your mind kind of soak this in before I close in prayer here and we sing our last song. Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having glory of God. Its radiance was like a most rare jewel. In fact, at this time, maybe the, the, the booth can just put that um, slide in the back. We'll just put that on as I read. I want people to kind of read it. This is the jewels that I want you to think through as I read. You don't even have to follow along with me. Just read as I, as I listen here. These are some of the jewels that we can keep in mind. It's beauty. Like the most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It says, a great high wall, 12 gates, and the gates of the 12 angels on the gates' names were the 12 tribes of the Son of Israel. They were inscribed. On the three gates, on the th- north three gates, and the south three gates, on the west three gates, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its walls. The city lies four square, kind of like a giant cubed city. Its length was the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. If for reference, 12,000 stadia as he spoke is about 1,400 miles in length, width and height. So this would be a metropolis, a city about the size of Canada, the US, and Mexico. A city about the size, you could say, from the Appalachian Mountains all the way to California. One heavenly megalopolis. And then it could say, you could say it would be about 600,000 stories high. And so he says in verse 18, the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third gate of the the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, and the tenth chrysophase, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst, and the twelfth gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was like pure gold, like transparent glass. And in that place I saw no temple of the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun, no moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb Uh, The lamp is the lamb. Verse 24, by its light will the nations walk. 
and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations and nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb books of life. And I'm gonna continue reading. Just allow your mind to imagine this. As Revelation is read aloud to you here, Revelation 22, verse one. And the angel showed me a river. The river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, was the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is some of the same language you could read if you want on your own time. Look at Ezekiel 40 and 47. Some of the same phrases that are spoken about the new temple in Ezekiel's vision of the same tree that we find there is found here. It's also the same tree we find in Genesis chapter one and two. The tree of life begins in a garden, we end in a garden. The tree of life is mentioned there in Genesis, is mentioned here in the last chapter of the Bible. The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit it was healing for the nation. Verse three, no longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The night will be no more and there will be no need for light of lamp or sun but for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. I don't know if I can perfectly describe to you what the new heaven and new earth is gonna be, but I know this is the best I can do. (laughs) Revelation 21 and 22. It's an extraordinary place. Size that seems unimaginable, glory and beauty that seems indescribable, and yet a vision of what is to come is a place of peace, of rest, enjoyment, happiness, Praise, worship, adventure, food, trees, garden, life, earth, heaven and earth. And the key to it all, like the light of the sun, is that God is there and his glory fills the earth like the waters fill the sea. It's a place of renewal that will be renewed. It's a place of restoration that's been restored. It's a new earth and new heaven, this place that we know of in part, but one day will be fulfilled in fullness. And it's a city, a place of exploration, of being, of living, of home. It's a convergence of two separated things merging together as one, heaven and earth joined in perfect harmony. It's the final destination of you and me. Those who believe, whose names are written in the Lamb Book of Life, we have this as our future and our hope. This is what we look forward to. And then, yes, there is a stopping place, an intermediate heaven. We'll look at that next week. Hopefully you can join us with that. But as we look forward to that, yes, we look even beyond that, hoping one day the Lord will return and restore all things and bring new heaven and new earth together one day. To close, I wanna, I wanna close in prayer. The worship team's gonna come. And yet I wanna also close with the Lord's Prayer. Where again, as I looked at last week, it reminds us of these very things that we've been talking about. Our Father who art in heaven, right? On earth as it is in heaven. 
So I want to gather as I begin, you know, would you like to say the Lord's Prayer with me and then I'll continue on after that in prayer and the worship team can come up. Would you recite the Lord's Prayer with me to close? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power. Amen. Father, we thank you and we praise you for these truths. We thank you, God, for your good. We thank you, God, for the goodness that you will bring one day. We long for it. We look forward to it. We can't wait to see our loved ones again. We can't wait for the earth of, 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 in its fullness. And yet, God, help us not to miss the goodness that you have given to us now. Strengthen our faith today in you. Help us to sing of heaven, yes. To sing of what is to come. And yet to be able to live now loving as you have loved us, giving as you have given yourself for us, dispensing mercy as you have been merciful to us. Let us be people of heaven, that heaven, your desires and your love and your rule and reign would be over our lives in such a way that people would know that you are the king of our lives. Give us that hope. Give us that future. Lord, we look forward to all that you bring and all that is to come. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.